Good morning. Uh, my name is Fred Schmidt, one of the pastors here. Uh, my wife Jennifer and I have been part of Hillcrest for a long, long time. And uh, coming up uh, here in the next month or so, we've got two of our our most favorite Hillcrest events and traditions coming up. Uh, the first being our prayer, praise, and pie uh, next Sunday evening. Uh, this is just has been such a great Hillcrest family event where we get together here in this room and we get to share how God has been working in our life, what we are thankful for from him, from others around us, and, uh, and a special time to do that as a family together. And uh, come on out for that. Bring a pie uh, because after that special time, we'll all head downstairs and enjoy uh, some sweet, sweet fellowship together, uh, pun intended on that one. David, what's your favorite kind of pie? Pecan. Pecan, okay. Ugh. Uh, another way we're different, David. Uh, uh, so bring pumpkin pie. Um, oh, I mean pecan pie, sorry. Uh, but that'll be a special time. And then, uh, you know, starting in two weeks, we start our Advent series as we look forward to Christmas Eve. Uh, looking towards the wonder of Christmas. So uh, that is uh, coming up on Sunday mornings in, starting in two weeks, leading into our Christmas Eve service uh, on December 24th, of course. I know for me personally, I have really appreciated uh, these last couple of months through this first chapter of James. And as I spend time during the week in my unhurried time with God and reflect on what we've been learning and go through the questions in our booklet, uh, I've really been able to be blessed by God and to see ways that he has been helping me to learn about myself and apply some of these principles into my own life. And throughout this first uh, chapter in his letter, James has walked us through uh, these concept of trials that test our faith. And then the testing of our faith leading to steadfastness. And then this steadfastness or this endurance that we experience as we go through life in faith produces some beautiful effects in our lives. And he's talked about several of these. In verse 4, he said, Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. In verse 12, he said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 18, he said, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Meaning that as we live our steadfast faith, Chosen by God, we can be the first fruits, the, the kind of the top of the crop, the best of the best of all of his creation. And as, we've, as the weeks have gone by, James then describes um, kind of the, the key to being steadfast through our trials. And he talked about this last week, this idea of, being, of, of hearing and doing Verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive this word. Be quick to hear. Listen to what God is saying. And verse 25, but the one who works, looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, 
who only hears, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So this, uh, thus far through this letter from James, this is summed up in our big idea today, which is that James teaches that a person with steadfast faith is a hearer and a doer of the word. And James concludes this section by sharing three examples of what doers do from the inside out. So let me read these two verses for today, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. James says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now these two verses uh, kind of serve as a hinge point, if you will, in James's letter. They, they kind of serve on one hand as the crescendo of what this tested and steadfast faith looks like. And as we'll see, as we revisit this starting in January, it's a preview leading into the rest of his letter that, that we have divided into three, three more different parts of the sermon series that faith works when I love, faith works when I speak, and faith works when I persevere. So we look forward to uh, concluding this first section next week, taking a break over the Christmas season, and then jumping back in in January. Well, before we uh, get into these verses, let's pray together. Uh, our Father, thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for the implanted word that you have given to us. And uh, I pray that uh, by your Spirit, you would help us to turn off whatever else is going on in the world outside of this room and really turn our ears and our hearts and our minds to you to listen to your word. And we ask for you to empower us by your spirit to, to be doers of the word <clears throat> and by doing that to bring praise and honor and glory to you. So Father, I, I pray that my words would be yours to your people. Amen. Amen. Well, James uses this word religion and religious, and I would say that, that I grew up uh, a religious person in the sense that we would more commonly think of that term today. I went to church every week. I was an active participant in the liturgy, liturgy of the church service. I observed the sacraments, and I, I completed different classes along the way. And I called myself a Christian. And because of all of this, I earnestly tried to uh, be a good person and, and, and do some good things in my life. And I think James, actually, when he uses this term, has something a little bit more in mind than maybe what we would think of uh, in our terms of religion today, like I just described. He seems to be describing someone who is religious as, as one who finds joy when meeting trials of various kinds. As one who asks for wisdom in faith without doubting. As one who sees the trials that we experience as good and perfect gifts from the Father. 
and one who receives with meekness the implanted word, being a hearer and a doer, right, of the word. And then James has a, has a term for this. He calls this pure and undefiled religion. And last week, David talked about how we can be deceived in our lives by, by either being only a hearer of the word or only being a doer of the word. These, these uh, acts not based on the steadfast, the, uh, the implanted word in our life. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to keep these circles separate, obviously. We want to overlap them. And that overlap of the hearing and the doing is where that steadfast faith, or what James is calling this pure religion, lives in the overlap there. And in these verses today, verses 26 and 27, James offers three examples of what hearers and doers do. He's going to mention three things. Number one, bridling the tongue. Number two, visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. And number three, keeping oneself unstained from the world. Now, if we look at these three, three things, Dave and I have been talking through these verses. He's going to pick up where I leave off today. He's going to pick up next week. And, and we see kind of a, a progression of these three things in our own lives from the inside out. And so let's start with this steadfast faith, which, which begins on the inside in our hearts and our minds. And when James says, keep oneself unstained from the world, that's, he's talking about keeping our hearts and our minds unstained. And then next, I'm not surprised that James includes the unbridled tongue here as his brother Jesus talked a lot about this direct connection between what's in the heart and what comes out of our mouth. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And next week, as David picks up, we're going to see this natural progression one more layer into the hands and feet as we talk about visiting orphans and widows as an example of what doers do. So I want to kind of walk through those first two, being uh, keeping ourselves unstained from the world and, uh, and then keeping our tongues bridled. And I want to begin with examples of the worldly influences that can stain our hearts and our minds. Now, there are many examples, of course, because we live in a terribly fallen world and there is a lot to protect ourselves from. But I want to mention just two big ones this morning. The first being money. Paul wrote to Timothy to caution him about money. He said this in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
Now note that Paul does not write to Timothy that, the, that money is the root of all evil. Sometimes I hear people say that in our world today and they misquote this passage because it's not money itself. It's the love of money where the problem lies. It is the root of all kinds of evil because money, of course, is neutral in itself, right? It's, it's a tool that has been used for, for millennia in our cultures for the exchange between two people of goods and services. But the world doesn't look at money from a neutral perspective. The world tells us that, that money means comfort. It means having nice things. Having money means having peace and security and satisfaction and even joy. And, and so it's the love of that money that, that we call materialism when we think that through these things around us we will find true peace and satisfaction and comfort and joy. And we, when we look for those things in money and in material possessions, that actually draws us away from God, who ironically is the source of true and everlasting peace and joy and comfort and so forth. So we have to deal with the stain of materialism in our hearts. The love of money can also stain our hearts with covetousness, which just means we, we want what someone else has. We don't have it, and because someone else has it, we want it. And if covetousness is, is carried a little bit further, we have something called envy, which means that we want whatever this other person has that we don't have. We want it so much that we actually turn our hearts towards that other person and kind of wish that they didn't have it either. Satisfying the cravings of love, of the love of money, is like drinking salt water to quench our thirst. It will never succeed. And the more we try, the more we try to satisfy these cravings through the love of money or through the drinking of salt water, the sicker we get. So let me offer you a heart check in this area. For those of you who practice uh, faithful, cheerful, uh, generous giving of your tithes and offerings back to God, and I'm not going to talk about what that is or how to calculate that or anything, but, but for those of you who, who are in the midst of that faithful, generous, and cheerful giving of part of what you earn back to God, here's the test. Have you ever stopped and looked at the money that you give and kind of wonder all the things that you could maybe buy with that money instead? Or have you ever dreamed about the places you could go or that addition or improvement to your house or maybe a bigger house and a bigger yard altogether if you just kept that money for yourself? 
And I know from time to time I have stopped when I see, you know, the numbers come through or the giving at the end of the year and I stop and I think, oh, wonder, huh, how else could I have used that? And that is a very dangerous path to trod down that love of money that puts money and possessions ahead of God in our lives and which is the root of all kinds of evil. So these are some of the stains that we have to be aware of and look, at, look for in our lives, these stains of materialism and consumerism and greed and envy and covetousness in our hearts. And then the second stain I want to talk about is pride. I found a great definition of pride. It says, the sin of pride is an excessive preoccupation with self and one's own importance achievements, status, or possessions. This sin is considered rebellion against God because it attributes to one's self the honor and glory that only God is due. It's pride. And the world out there tells us that there is no God. The world out there tells us that we are the most important things about us. In a sense, that we are our own gods, right? And this pride does some terrible things to our hearts. Pride convinces us that we have power over others. This manifests itself in things like a, a, a kind of an attitude of superiority over people. Or as James is going to talk about when we return back in chapter 2, uh, this idea of partiality, meaning that, that I'm going to show more favoritism to some people because, you know what, they have something that, that they, can, they can offer to me. I can get something from them. I'm going to show them more partial, partiality over someone else who has nothing to offer me. We, have, we think we have power over others. Pride also convinces us that we have power over our circumstances in life. James is going to talk about more of this in chapter 4. Let me read from uh, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. In fact, we don't know what the rest of today will bring. One big lesson I learned uh, in the last year and a half with, with COVID was I never thought something would shut our whole world down like this. We just can't predict and control the circumstances around us. Uh, James uh, continues, What is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, this this pride that makes us believe that we have power over our circumstances. All such boasting is evil. Now, this is really difficult for some of us who are planners out there. Am I right? Yeah. I always know a good test for me in my own heart is when I, you know, I, have, I lay down some great plans. I even get some, some great execution going. And then things change. Someone lets me down. 
And that's a great heart check for me because that stain of pride over my circumstances will lead me to get irritable, grumpy, mad at somebody else. I find myself getting anxious because now I've just lost control of the life around me. In fact, uh, I usually will try harder and harder and harder to regain control, and that's not a good place to be. Most of the time when my heart is stained by this kind of pride, I don't even think to pray. Pretty ugly. And finally, pride convinces us that we have power even over God. And what I mean by that is when we do work hard and when we strive to the utmost of our abilities, we believe it's under or from our own strengths and our own talents as we forget all about God being a part of that. When we do well, we take the credit and the accolades. We revel in that glory for ourselves. We, we're stealing that away from God. And I don't know about you, but I, when, when things go wrong, I sometimes will quickly look and blame others or blame God for things not happening the way I thought they should. This pride in my life anyway, leads me to put more trust and faith in myself than in God. And that's why James exhorts us to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Those are just two examples of a whole host of things. Now back to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, How can you speak good when you are evil? How can you speak good when your heart is stained by the world? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so here's the danger. Here's the connection that from a stained and tainted heart flows an unbridled tongue. Now, James is the only New Testament writer to use this word bridled in connection with the tongue. And I'm not a horse person. There's our daughter, Megan, on a horse from Camp Fairwood this summer. Um, I'm not a horse person, but I, I have ridden horses a couple of times, and every one of them has had a, a bridle and a bit in the mouth and then the reins that come up. See how much I've learned? And it's an amazing thing to me. When I sit on that horse, when I, when I have those reins in my hand and I tug on the bridle this way, the horse turns to the left. And when I tug on this bridle and pull the, rein, pull the bridle this way, the horse turns to the right. And when I pull them both, he stops. The bridle is an amazing tool in that horse because the horse will actually follow and obey my will and my desire. And if I ever sat on a horse without a bridle, I would be at the mercy of that horse's whim and whimsy. <laughs> Whatever he would want to do, there we would go. I would have no power or control over that horse. We'd have no direction. Imagine, imagine trying to plow a field in the, in the old days with an animal like, you know, pulling the plow with no bridle. How straight would those rows be? <laughs> Not at all. And how inefficient the farming would be without the bridle. And the same is true with the tongue. 
because an unbridled tongue left to the whim and the whimsy of a tainted and stained heart is a very dangerous thing. In fact, James will talk more about this in chapter 3 when he says, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. When my tongue is unbridled, I get angry and frustrated. When my tongue is unbridled, I cast dispersions on people who believe differently and think differently than I do. When my tongue is unbridled, I'm happy to speak the truth to someone, but I don't do it in love. Sometimes I even share some juicy gossip. When my tongue is unbridled, uh, when I tell a story, you know, I might just kind of embellish a few parts to make me look better. Or in that same story, I may leave out some details that maybe don't make me look good. I'm quick to speak when my tongue is unbridled. James says again later in chapter 3, with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Imagine what that does to the heart of God when our unbridled tongue does something like that. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So worldly influence stains the heart and the mind and then from a stained heart flows this unbridled tongue. And so James tells us, keep oneself unstained from the world. It's one of the things that doers do. Now, before I worked here as a pastor, my wife Jennifer and I uh, owned a house cleaning business for about 10 years and we dealt with a lot of different stains along the way. And there is a very common product out there called Scotchgard. You familiar with that? You can apply that to a surface or spray it on and it is supposed to provide some protection from stains on that surface. And so using that as an illustration, we can scotch guard our hearts and minds from the world. And I think James is saying you do that by being hearers and doers of the word from the inside out. So I, I want to just take a few minutes and offer you some spiritual scotch guard, if you will. And that spiritual scotch guard being scripture itself. I, I'm going to share with you a, a mere sprinkling of scriptures from an ocean of, of possibilities out there that have been helpful for me to, to read and reflect on that will help me to protect my own heart and mind from being stained by the world. And as I read these, I just want to kind of point something out. There, there's hearing taking place. I'm going to read God's word and you will hear and listen and receive the implanted word. 
And these verses also have a, a doing component with them. And it's not doing in the, maybe in the sense that we would jump to when we say be hearers and doers, at least in my mind, it, it goes to, okay, what do I do? How do I help? What, you know, kind of these external ways of doing. But, but these verses also point us inward to some internal ways that God is calling us to be doers of the word. So 1 John chapter 2 John said, do not love the world or the things in the world. Do you feel that inward doing? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's some doing in that to renew our minds that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's another inward doing to keep oneself unstained from the world. It comes from, from David in Psalm 51 after he had been caught committing adultery and then murder. He prays to God and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. One that's familiar that I wanted to include here because I do think this is so important to help keep oneself unstained from the world around us. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Oh, all of that, that internal doing that's involved just in that sentence. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And one more I want to share to help protect us from the stains of the world. God says, be still and know that I am God. And you know, we want to be hearers and doers of the word from the inside out. Starting with protecting our hearts and our minds, creating a, a, an unblemished, unstained heart so that from that pure heart flows good fruit. We've talked about an unbridled tongue flowing from a tainted heart. And now let's talk a little bit about what a bridled tongue looks like. A tongue that flows from that pure heart that I want to offer two, two things. A bridal tongue is restrained in one sense and it is powerfully focused on its ultimate purpose in another. Just like with a horse, the bridle restrains it in one sense and it focuses it so powerfully in another. Let me give you an example of, of a restrained tongue. One of my favorite dad roles was being a volunteer coach for uh, Johnny's football teams all the way up through the eighth grade. And of course, in that setting, I got to hang out with other uh, football coaches, some of which uh, use, we'll just call it football 
language out on the field. And I, and I always enjoyed it. I, I just had a smile on my face every time, you know, after they got to know me a little bit and knew I worked at that church across Highway 14 there. Oh, yeah, I'm a pastor or whatever. Some of that football language would come out and they would catch themselves quickly. Oh, I'm sorry, Fred. I'm sorry. Sorry I said that. Or they would use, you know, better words the next time. And I just chuckled. But that's a great example of, of bridling and restraining the tongue. And when I think of purposeful and powerful words of that bridled tongue, that, that focused tongue in, in the right direction, I think of the, the power behind the very first words out of an infant's mouth. That understanding and connection and the verbalizing of something as simple as mama, dada, papa. Or with it being Veterans Day this last week, I, I think of, of the, the power of the words of the Pledge of Allegiance as recited by a World War II veteran. Or I think of the words, the reflections from someone of a life well lived who knows that they are in their last days. What, what powerful what, what power in a bridled tongue that has those kinds of reflections. And of course, I think of, of every time we have recorded in Scripture of Jesus praying perfectly and powerfully to his Father in heaven. And one more time, I want to share with you a series of Scriptures in which we are called to be hearers of the Word and describe what doers do in bearing the beautiful fruit of a bridled tongue. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 4, I charge you, this is Paul writing to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Wow. But before I read the rest of it, he is really setting this up to be important, don't you think? I charge you in the name of all of these things. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. But I love this, this example of a bridled tongue. Do that, re reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Ephesians chapter 4, one of my favorite passages and one of the hardest for me to live out. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as good is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may, may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Later in James chapter 5, we'll learn about, about some, some ways to, to exercise a bridled tongue in some simple ways. James chapter 5, 
He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So in the midst of suffering, bridle your tongue and, and pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise as we got to do and we'll get to do here in a couple minutes together. One more in James chapter 5 about confession. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, the bridled tongue of a pure heart has great power as it is working. Then this last passage will be familiar to many of you from Philippians chapter 4. It's a great summary of what doers do when we bridle the tongue and when we protect ourselves from being stained by the world. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The very next verse then. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Guard your mind against being stained from the world. And then verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. It's what doers do. And the God of peace will be with you. Let me offer you uh, several takeaways. Number one, faith works with that when I'm tested. That's what we've been talking about throughout this whole first chapter of James. Where are you being tested these days? And, and maybe this is something I, I, I've started to do a little bit in my own time, in my own journaling, asking myself, hey, Fred, where... Where's your joy meter today in the midst of the things you're going through? Where's your joy of the Lord at? Number two, evaluate what James calls your religion. I want to show you the hearing and doing circles that we had earlier where they overlap and James calls that pure and undefiled religion or our steadfast faith in the area of that overlap. And I ask you, where would you put your mark on those circles? Is your religion worthless where you might find yourself merely a hearer and not a doer? Or a doer apart from the implanted word? James calls that a worthless faith, worthless religion. Or do you find yourself somewhere in that overlap as a hearer and a doer of the word? And, and, and where is God calling you to, to maybe shore that up and make some changes in your life? 
Number three takeaway kind of question to ask, what stain removal and or scotch guarding is needed on your hearts and minds? Last year, Jennifer and I went to Arizona to visit with our daughter and son-in-law, and we went scorpion hunting at night. Has anybody gone scorpion hunting? No? Oh, you are missing out. We went scorpion hunting at night with a UV light. Because scorpions are, even in the daytime, they're hard to see. And of course, in the dark, you, you, you'll never see them. But when we would take that UV light and shine a light on the scorpion, it just glows in the dark. It's amazing. And I'm offering this illustration of that UV light as, as another way to use Scripture as that light to shine it on your heart and your mind and in your actions to see, are there any stains you can't see? Or is there, is there a scorpion looking around that you need to take care of? So use these scriptures as that way to get rid of some of the stains and to protect yourself from the stains of the world. Number four takeaway, be intentional to speak with a bridled tongue in a special way this week. How can you bridle your words, restrain them, and focus them in such a way that will bring great fruit? Maybe you need to speak to someone and ask them for forgiveness. Maybe there's someone that you need to go to and grant them forgiveness. Take some intentional time to, to build someone up with your words, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Use your words to be thankful to God, to be thankful to people around you. Use a bridled tongue to bring some good news to someone. That might be sharing what God has been doing in your life. It might be an invitation to invite them to our Advent series or to Christmas Eve service. But however it is, find some way this week to intentionally speak with a bridled tongue. And last takeaway, as we've been praying these many weeks, this prayer to say, God, use my circumstance and, my, and help me to gain your perspective and see the circumstance of my life through your eyes. When we ask God for wisdom, he can help us to see our lives through his eyes and that helps us to remove the stains and to speak words of life with a bridled tongue. Now, I've got some boxes up here on the stage and I just want to close and, and highlight these Operation Christmas Child boxes. Thank you to those of you who used this opportunity as a way to hear and do in your life. And it's pretty, pretty exciting. I think tomorrow they leave and they go to the next step and along the way, some people are going to put some more materials and some cartoony things in the boxes that will help to share the love of Jesus and the good news of the gospel with them in their own heart language, wherever these boxes are destined to. 
And so it's a pretty special thing to, to see this happen. And it's an example of what doers do. So I'm going to close. If you would join me in praying in thanksgiving for these boxes and praying for these kids that will uh, one day soon be opening these boxes themselves uh, in their hands. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word that you have implanted in us and this call that you have given us to be generous and to give. God, I thank you for those who have chosen to be hearers and doers in this way to put these boxes together and I ask for you to, to bless their giving. And Father, we commission these gifts from here as they go through the different next steps and as they land in the hands of some children. And we pray that they will be received not with an attitude of consumerism or materialism, but that they will be received with softened and open hearts of thanksgiving from these kids towards you. And that they will see you as the ultimate provider of material and spiritual needs. So, Father, we entrust these boxes, ask for you to use them as a tool to open the hearts and the eyes and the minds of the children that will open them into your loving kindness. So, Father, we send them out in your name and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.